Hello, and welcome to Accessible Theology, where our goal is to get into the scriptures so that together we can get the scriptures. I'm Michael Carlino. And I'm Aaron Badorf. In our current series, we're going to look at the seven letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, and we will discover that since Jesus has conquered the world, we too can be more than conquerors. Now, let's get accessible. In our first episode of this uh, More Than Conquerors series, we want to start by uh, just giving an overview of, of what it is that we're going to be talking about. So we have some introductory material uh, talking about the book, the book of Revelation as a whole, uh, looking at what exactly it means to be more than conquerors in John's writings and elsewhere, different views of, of that and such. Uh, and then also just a brief outline of how we're going to sketch each individual letter uh, to, to the churches that we will uh, be covering, the seven different churches. Uh, so, Michael, as, as we kick this series off, it's probably a good place to start uh, in an answering the question, how is it that we are supposed to read the book of Revelation? Yeah, you have to start there. How you, how you determine to read a book will lead to meaning. So yeah, having an, an interpretive grid, so to speak, is vital. Uh, so uh, one of our uh, shared favorite authors, uh, contemporaries, his name is Andy Nacelli. He has a great quote on this. Uh, he talks about how there's so many debates about what's actually happening in Revelation. And he says this, there's, though, there are debates worth having, but these must not become more important than the book's theological message, which is this. The lamb will consummate his kingdom for God's glory by saving his people and judging his enemies. God wins. The purpose of revelation is not to confuse you or to entertain you or to intrigue you or to give you a train schedule for future events. It's to comfort and encourage and exhort Christians by revealing future events and providing a heavenly perspective on present earthly difficulties. It's okay to debate finer eschatological issues but make the main thing the main thing yeah that's i mean that's just a helpful helpful starting place because oftentimes the book of revelation is something that we think is uh, so many things that it's not uh and and we read it wrongly because of that and yet as we read these seven letters to the seven churches we'll see yes they are letters written to these seven specific churches but they have meaning for us today so so it's it's historical in nature but there's also past present and future application for the church of all time from from these letters that we're going to be reading uh, so that i think is something that that Nicelli helps helps draw out and is something that um, allows us to have a good starting place as we jump into this series yeah, and what Aaron's pointing out there is, is important because when we get to Revelation, uh, we call we are calling this series more than conquerors because that word conqueror is crucial as we look through chapters two and three in, uh, and we study these seven letters to the seven churches of Revelation. That word conqueror is in some translations rendered overcomer, some say victor, but that's the, the word, it's the same Greek word, which is nikaio, which is where we get our English word Nike from. So if you have ever worn athletic Nike gear in any way, 
they've chosen that because they want their brand to represent conqueror and mm. victor language. They don't, they didn't choose loser. They chose right. winner as their language. Right. But what's so amazing is the Bible is putting forth that the Christian is a conqueror right now and in the future. And that's the promise we're talking about, the, that we are building on how John, when uh, when he attributes to the, the words of Jesus, when, when Jesus is speaking to the seven churches, he seven different times, he gives a promise, which he begins by saying, to the one who conquers, and then there's a following promise. And we're going to see that in each of the following episodes. What's important is that word conqueror is used to be an identity marker for a believer. And John uses that word elsewhere. So we're going to look real quickly here at 1 John uh, chapter 5. I opened my Bible to John by mistake. Let me. Oh, man. I, I'm ready if you want me to read it. Yeah, if you want to read <laughs> John uh, chapter 5, verses 4 and 5 for us, that'd be great because I'm an amateur. Okay. Well, I have an electronic copy, so it's easier. Uh, so 1 John 5, verse 4 says this, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? One of my favorite verses in all of scripture, because it emphasizes that our faith has a present overcoming reality. And when John uses that in Revelation, I believe that's what he's uh, going to be picking up on us. We'll talk about later. We're going to discuss some of the different views that people have on this conqueror language. But we also yeah. see it's not just John that uses this language. It's used by uh, Jesus. Again, he uses it in John 16, 33. We have this great promise where Jesus says that you will have tribulation in this life, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And we see that mm -hmm. that very Jesus is talking to suffering churches and telling them that they're, that through their suffering, they too overcome, uh, overcome just like he overcame. And then even beyond that, we have the apostle Paul in Romans chapter eight, verse 37, which is where we get our uh, series title of more than conquerors from, because he uses this awesome Greek word, uh, compound word. He says, Uper Nike, which is like super conqueror, more than conqueror, <laughs> founding conqueror. Greek nerding out is fun because you start to see these things. The <laughs> Apostle Paul is saying that, and, and you need to know the context of Romans 8, he's talking about suffering. He is talking about immense suffering and nakedness and sword and peril and danger. And he's saying, but in all these things, yeah. we are super conquerors. We yeah. will crush because the son of God is conquered. So that's where we're going to be building from. But with that in mind, we've already kind of tipped our hat a little bit where we're going with and what we think about conqueror. But Aaron, uh, there's, a, there's a couple of different views. So if you don't mind sharing some of those views and we can talk about how we want to interpret the word conqueror and think about it moving forward. Yeah. So in, in this discussion, I'm sure there are probably more views to discuss, but we're going to discuss four main views uh, about what the who who is represented by the conquerors or or who can be considered a conqueror uh, so in the in the first view um it would be just called the loss of salvation view uh, and, and so in the book of revelation what we see if if this view were true according to it uh we would we would have to say that the promises uh, that are given uh, to those who overcome are, are written to believers to encourage them just in case they, you know, aren't able to overcome and they lose their salvation. 
and this so would, this wouldn't actually contradict other texts though right yeah 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 so we're i mean again michael has already said we we've we're tipping our hats we we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this because we think that it contradicts other things in scripture and, and so basically just to i guess give the the shortest possible description of this view to fail to overcome is to lose your salvation we don't think it's possible to lose your salvation we think that 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 is entirely um, God's hand on us. He's the one who holds on to us. We don't hold on to him. So uh, to fail to overcome losing one salvation just wouldn't make sense. Uh, so that's the the first view. Uh, do we need to spend any more time on that one? I don't, I mean. I mean, I think it just goes flatly against John chapter 10, where Jesus yeah. says that no one will pluck his sheep um, out of his hand. But we do want to say, we're not saying that these promises to overcomers do not inspire holiness. And we're going to talk about that later. So in a few minutes. Yeah working through these views yeah so the second one is called the perseverance or ultimate triumph of the saints view you have any thoughts on that one yeah so so this view often is attributed i i think if i remember right uh we were looking at uh, bible.org so we should yeah. give attribution to where we received True. some really good help from good, uh, good. but on there they have uh that john MacArthur's an advocate of this uh perspective and, and uh that this view teaches that according accordingly, all genuine believers will persevere and overcome the world by living godly and obedient lives. So it's not as much um, saying that uh, it's a condition to be achieved as much as maybe we could say a status that we yeah. are guaranteed in Christ already. So that right. in Christ we are already uh, conquerors, um, and that we will and that we will persevere and the godliness is almost a guaranteed product of that status i think is right right and and i think i think there are aspects of this view that we could say yes and amen to mm -hmm. however there would be other things where we would say well i don't think it's necessarily the case that if you are a christian you are guaranteed this overcoming status mm -hmm. do you think that's fair yeah because it takes on, we're going to talk about this in, uh, in points three and four, but let me just briefly say it is there is a strong, there's, there's warnings in scripture and there's the means of warnings and severe warnings is a use. Like I think of Hebrews six and other places yeah. to inspire holiness and to keep us on the right path. So right. we don't want to negate that the, the conditionality of the revelation conqueror language and the promises is actually a real thing that we yeah. need to press into. And yeah. we, so we don't want to mitigate that. And I think that this view might unintentionally lead to that if we're not careful. Yeah. So then the, the third view, the next view uh, states that all believers are overcomers. Uh, and so then according to this view, all believers uh, become overcomers the moment of salvation. So when you place your faith in the Lord Jesus, um, because he is an overcomer and you are united to him, you then acquire the status of overcomer uh, that he is the one who who has truly gained. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and and so I think, uh, yeah, I think even in our conversations leading up to this, this is the view that we think makes the most sense and has the most that we can grab onto and say, yeah, I, I think this one is probably the most accurate what do you think yeah this one ties directly to first john 5 um it connects directly with john's usage where he says 
that all who have faith in Christ have overcome. Mm -hmm. And that's a declarative status reality that is there is by their union with the Lord Jesus Christ that is procured from the moment of salvation. Now, um, so I think that that is gloriously true. There's a fourth view, and and I'll detail that one more briefly in closing. And I don't think it's a wrong view again, um, but this view focuses and calls it the rewards view of the conqueror language. And and this view says that the overcomer passages or the conqueror passages are promises of rewards given to believers that encourage them to overcome the trials of their life through faithfulness. Mm -hmm. And I want to say that we we're kind of like, if there was a, if you're saying there's a scale of one, two, three, and four from these four views, I want to say I'm like a 3.5 because because I don't think there's a I don't think we want to create a deep distinction between being made a conqueror in the moment of our salvation Mm -hmm. and then that prompt and then these promises inspire the conqueror that we are to then go conquer is is, is what I'm getting so I don't think that there's a contradiction so I'm kind of I see great um I think John is building on how he uses the word elsewhere I I, because we're going to say this again later we believe the apostle John who wrote the gospel and his uh, and first second and third John also wrote the book of Revelation so Mm -hmm. I believe building on how he uses that word in first John 5 is important um but in First John 5, it's very clear that it's speaking about the status of a believer by faith in the moment. And when you get to Revelation, it is a promise to press into those realities. So I think we read these promises very much like we read the book of Hebrews. Mm-hmm. I mentioned this earlier, but um, I agree with uh, scholars like Tom Schreiner, for example, who would say that the warnings are real warnings that true Christians will look at and they won't fall into sin. Well, the Mm -hmm. promises are real promises that Christians will go grab and believe and fully. So, so just as strong as those warnings in Hebrews that scare, scare us are Mm -hmm. in revelation, these promises are, are even more glorious so that we will become more than conquerors by pressing into them. So I think that that 3.5 is where I want to be on this to to connect those two realities. Yeah, and that's 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 good, um, and something that we will, I'm sure, continue to bring up as we go through uh, these promises that are given. Uh, so, just as we wrap it up here, um, it's it's interesting to read through these seven letters to the seven churches uh, and see that they're structured in a very similar way. And so, we just kind of want to give a, a brief outline of the structure that we're going to follow for each of these seven letters, because I think, I think all seven of them contain all four of these things. So the first thing is a relevant introduction. Each church is addressed specifically and uh, in a way that relates to either it's, it's history or geography or something like that uh, and, and commended in some way. Uh, And so then there is a penetrating evaluation Jesus has something against these churches and he's making it known to them, which is then or, followed. Or sometimes just uh, not something against it, but it's evaluating something good they're doing. To yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Thank you. Good clarification. The third thing uh, is a corresponding exhortation. Uh, so what they are to do based on this evaluation, and that can be positive or negative, keep doing this or stop doing that. Uh, and fourthly and finally, 
a motivating benediction. And that that's what we're going to try to spend the most time on because that motivating benediction is the promise that is, I think, what we are trying to draw out, the, the conqueror language uh, in each of the letters. So we'll spend a lot of time there. Um, but one final thing that I think probably would be helpful uh, as we wrap up here, Michael, what are the golden lampstands and why is this important for our consideration of these seven churches? Yeah, a lot of people have questions for that. So I felt it was worth dealing with in our intro yeah. here real quick. So the golden lampstands are what I would say it is a, a analogy of the church being a lampstand for the world. We think of Philippians 2 where we're told to not uh, be complaining or grumbling like the perverse world that is around us, but to instead be a, uh, a light that uh, in a city on a hill. That cannot be covered. So the church, the local church, I think is, you know, uh, Jesus is speaking directly to churches and he's telling them, you are a lampstand in this dark world. And through your suffering, your light can shine. But in your sin, um, he's telling, especially churches that are being judged, he's saying, if you do, if you persist in your sin and show yourself to be um, apostate and, and prove that you were never saved to begin with, your lampstand will be removed. I mean, your church, Jesus will come close the church building down. In other words, he's going to come end it. And, and that is for the glory of his name, because he will not let his name be defiled by a church not shining brightly. So uh, strong words that we see, but also a great promise, though, in, in, contained in there that a church that is holy, that is healthy, and that is living for the glory of Jesus shines brightly in and through suffering, in and through their witness in this dark world. So this uh, series is something that we're both very excited for, and we look forward to diving in uh, to these seven specific churches and seeing what we can learn from them and how we can understand uh, better how we can be more than conquerors. Uh, so until next time, we want to charge you, as always, to love God, know truth, and live accordingly. Thank you.